Chapter 3 of William Again by Rick Mall Crompton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 3 That Boy. William had gone away with his family for a holiday, and he was not enjoying it. For one reason, it was not the sea. Last summer they had gone to the sea, and William had enjoyed it. He had several times been rescued from a watery grave by passers-by. He had lost several pairs of new shoes and stockings by taking them off among the rocks and then roaming so far afield barefoot that he forgot where he had left them and so came home without them. He got wet through every day as a matter of course. Through the house where his family stayed, his track was marked by a trail of sand and seaweed and small deceased crabs. He had upon one occasion floated out to sea in a boat which he had found on the beach and loosened from its moorings and narrowly escaped being run down by a steamer. At the end of the holiday by the sea, Mrs. Brown had said weakly, "'Let it be somewhere inland next year.' William found things monotonous inland. There were no crabs and nothing to do. Robert and Ethel, his grown-up brother and sister, had joined a tennis club and were out all day. Not that William had much use for Robert and Ethel. He preferred them out all day, as a matter of fact. All I say is, he said aggrievedly to his mother, that no one cares whether I'm having a nice time or not. You think that's long as father can go golfing, or trying to golf, and those two playing tennis, or what they call tennis, he added scornfully, and you can sit knitting all day. It's all right. You don't think of me. No one thinks of me. I might just as well not be here. All I say is, he ended, I might just as well be dead for all the trouble some people take to make me happy. His mother looked at his scowling, freckled countenance. "'Well, dear,' she said, "'there are plenty of books about the house that you haven't read.' "'Books?' said William scornfully. "'Sir Walter Scott's old thing. I don't call that books. "'You can go for walks.' "'Walks!' said William. "'It's no use going walks without jumble.' His father lowered his newspaper. "'Your arithmetic report was vile,' he said. "'You might occupy your time with a few sums. "'I'll set them up for you.' William turned upon his parent a glance before which most men would have quailed. Even William's father, inured as he was by long experience to that glare of William's, retired hastily behind his paper. Then, with a short and bitter laugh, William turned on his heel and left the room. That was the last straw. He'd finished with them. He'd simply finished with them. He put his head in at the window as he went towards the gate. "'I'm going out, mother,' he said in a voice which expressed stern sorrow rather than anger. "'All right, dear,' said Mrs. Brown sweetly. "'I may not be coming back. Never,' he added darkly. "'All right, dear,' said William's mother. William walked with slow dignity down to the gate. "'All I say is,' he remarked pathetically to the gatepost as he passed, I might as well be dead for all anyone think to try and to make my life a bit happier. He walked down to the village, a prey to black dejection. What people came away for holidays for beat him, 
at home there was old jumble to take for a walk and throw sticks for and the next-door cat to tease and the butcher's boy to fight and various well-known friends and enemies to make life interesting here there was well all he said was he might as well be dead a charabanc stood outside the post office and people were taking their places in it william looked at it contemptuously he began to listen in a bored fashion to the conversation of two young men i'm awfully glad you ran down one of them was saying to the other we can have a good tramp together to tell you the truth i've got so bored that i'd taken a ticket for the charabanc show can't stand em really will you give your money back said the other ah doesn't matter said the first then he met william's dark unflinching gaze and said carelessly here kid like a ticket for the charabanc trip william considered the question anything that would take him away from the immediate vicinity of his family seemed at that moment desirable does it come back he said it's supposed to said the young man that seemed rather a drawback william felt that he would have preferred to go away from his family on something that did not come back however this was better than nothing all right he said graciously i don't mind going the young man handed him the ticket william sat in the middle of a seat between a very fat lady and a very fat gentleman not much room he remarked bitterly to the world in general the fat lady and the fat gentleman turned crushing glances upon him simultaneously william received and returned them he even enlarged upon his statement all i say is he said pugnaciously trying to scowl up at both sides at once that there's not much room the fat lady put up lorgnettes and addressed the fat gentleman over william's head what a very rude little boy she said being apparently agreed upon that point they became friendly and conversed together for the rest of the journey ignoring the subterranean rumblings of indignation that came from the small boy between them at last the charabanc stopped at a country village the driver explained that the church was an excellent example of early norman architecture this left william cold he did not even glance at it the driver went on to remark that an excellent meal could be obtained at the village inn here william's expression kindled into momentary animation only to fade again into despair for william had spent his last tuppence that morning upon a stick of licorice it had caused a certain amount of friction between himself and his elder brother william had put it partially sucked upon a chair while he went to wash his hands and robert had come in from tennis and inadvertently sat down upon it being in a moist condition it had adhered to robert's white flannel trousers even when detached the fact of its erstwhile adherence could not be concealed william had considered robert's attitude entirely unreasonable well i don't know what he's got to be mad about i didn't make him sit down on it did i he talks about me spoiling his trousers what well, about him spoiling my licorice all i say is who wants to eat it now he's been sitting on it robert had unkindly taken this statement at its face value and thrown the offending stick of licorice into the fire william sadly extricated himself from the charabanc thinking bitterly of the vanished tuppence and licorice and the excellent meal to be obtained from the village inn 
he regarded himself at that moment as a martyr whose innocence and unjust persecution equaled that of any in the pages of the church history book an elderly lady in pince-nez looked at him pityingly what's the matter little boy she said you look unhappy william merely smiled bitterly is your mother with you she went on nope said william thrusting his hands into his pockets and scowling still more your father then ah said william as though bitterly amused at the idea you surely haven't come alone said the lady william gave vent to the dark emotions of his soul all i say is he said that if you knew my family you'd be jolly glad to go anywhere alone if you was me the lady made little clicking noises with her tongue expressive of sorrow and concern dear 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 she said and are you going to have tea now william assumed his famous expression of suffering patience i've got no money it's not much use going to have tea anywhere when you haven't got no money haven't they given you any money for your tea said the lady indignantly not they said william with a bitter laugh they wouldn't a let me come if they'd known they wouldn't have paid anything for me it was a friend gave me the ticket just to give me a bit of pleasure he said pathetically but they won't even give me money for my tea perhaps said the lady you had a late lunch and they thought ah ejaculated william i didn't have any lunch worth speaking of he thrust aside the mental picture of two helpings of steak and three of rice pudding you poor child said the lady come along i'll give you your tea thanks said william humbly and gratefully trudging off with her in the direction of the village inn he felt torn between joy at the immediate prospect of a meal and pity for his unhappy home life william generally speaking had only to say a thing to believe it he saw himself now as the persecuted victim of a cruel and unsympathetic family and the picture was not without a certain pleasure william enjoyed filling the centre of the stage in any capacity whatsoever i suppose said the lady uncertainly as william consumed boiled eggs with relish that your family are kind to you oh, you needn't suppose that said william his mouth full of bread and butter his scowling gaze turned on her lugubriously you just needn't suppose that not with my family they surely aren't cruel to you said the lady in horror cruel said william with a shudder just isn't the word all i say is cruel isn't the word the lady leaned across the table little boy she said soulfully you must tell me all i want to help you i go about the world helping people and i'm going to help you don't be frightened you know people can be put in prison for being cruel to children if i reported the case to the society for prevention of cruelty to children william was slightly taken aback oh i wouldn't like you to do that he said hastily i wouldn't like you to get them into trouble ah she said but you must think of your happiness not theirs she watched fascinated as william finished a third plate of bread and butter and yet his hunger seemed to be unappeased she was not acquainted with the digestive capacity of an average healthy boy of eleven i can see you've been starved she said and i can tell at once from your expression that you were unhappy have you any brothers and sisters 
William, who had now reached the second stage of his tea, put half a cake into his mouth, masticated, and swallowed it before replying. Two, he said briefly, one each, grown up, but they just care for nothing but their own pleasure. Why, he went on, warming to his theme, this morning I bought a few sweets with just a bit of money I happened to have, and he took them from me and threw them into the fire, just threw them into the fire. The lady made the sympathetic clicking sound with her tongue. Dear, 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 she said again, how very unkind. William, somewhat reluctantly, refused the last piece of cake. He had, as a matter of fact, done full justice to the excellent meal provided by the village inn. It had given him a feeling of gentle, contented melancholy. He was basking in the thought of his unhappy home life. "'I'm sorry to keep reminding you of it,' said the lady, "'but I feel I really want to get to the bottom of it. There's generally only one explanation of an unhappy home. I've investigated so many cases. Does your father drink?' William nodded sadly. Yes, he said, that's it. Oh, breathed the lady, your poor mother. But William wanted no diversion of sympathy. Mother drinks too, he said. You poor, poor child, said the lady. William wondered whether to make Robert and Ethel drink too, then decided not to. As an artist, he knew the value of restraint. Never mind, said the lady, you shall have one happy afternoon at any rate. She took him to the village shop and bought him chocolates and sweets and bananas and a top. William found some difficulty in retaining an expression suggestive of an unhappy home life, but he managed it fairly successfully. He began to feel very sleepy on the way home. He had had a lovely time. His pockets were full of sweets and chocolates, and he held his top in his hand. He even felt that he could forgive his family. He'd heap coals of fire on Robert's head by giving him a chocolate. He was almost asleep when the charabank drew up at the post office. Everyone began to descend. He took a polite and distant farewell of the elderly lady and set off for his home. But he found that the elderly lady was coming with him. "'Where do you live?' she said. "'Oh!' said William vaguely, just uh, somewhere along here. I'm coming to see your father, said the lady in a determined voice. William was aghast. Oh, uh, I wouldn't do that if I was you, he said. I often find, she said, that a drunkard does not realize what unhappiness he makes in his home. I often find that a few words of warning are taken to heart. Oh, you'd better not, said William desperately. He don't mind what he does. He'd throw knives at you or shoot you or cut your head off soon as not. He'd be just mad drunk when we get in. He went off to the public house just after breakfast. You'd better not come near our house. All I say is that you might just as well be dead as coming to our house. But what about you? Oh, I'm used to it, said William valiantly. I don't mind. Please, you better not come, he urged. I'm thinking of you. I shan't feel that I've done my duty till I've at any rate tried to make him see his sin. They were in the street now in which William's family were living. William looked pale and desperate. Matters seemed to have gone beyond his control. Suddenly he had an idea. He would lead her past the house and on and on till one or other of them dropped from fatigue. She'd have to go home sometime. She couldn't go on all night. He could say he'd forgotten where he lived. 
he began to dislike her intensely fussy old thing believing everything everyone told her interfering with other people's drunken fathers he was creeping cautiously and silently past his house by the side of his unsuspecting companion when a shrill cry reached him william hi william where have you been mother says come in at once it was ethel leaning out of an upstairs window the sight of her pretty white-clad figure brought no pleasure to her brother's heart he put out his tongue at her and sadly opened the garden gate you'd better not come in he said faintly to his companion in a last feeble attempt to avert the catastrophe which fate seemed determined to bring upon him he gets violent about this time of day with firm set lips his companion followed him i must do my duty she said sternly mr brown looked up from the evening paper as his younger son entered at first he merely noticed that his younger son looked unusually sheepish then he noticed that his son was followed by a tall thin lady of prim appearance and uncertain age wearing pince-nez mr brown groaned inwardly had william killed her cat or merely broken one of her windows uh, good evening he said good evening said the visitor i have been spending the afternoon with your little boy mr brown sent william a speaking glance he didn't mind what caricatures william picked up outside the house but he wished he'd keep them there william refused to meet his father's glance he sat on the edge of a chair looking rather pale his cap in his hand measuring with his eye the distance between the chair and the half-open door very kind of you murmured mr brown he has told me something of the state of things in his home burst out the visitor i saw at once that he was unhappy and half starved mr brown's jaw dropped william very slowly and cautiously tiptoed to the door he told me about you and his mother i was sure i am sure that you don't realize what you are doing what your uh, failing means to this innocent child mr brown raised a hand to his brow your conscience you see said the visitor triumphantly troubles you why should the memory of childhood mean to that dear boy blows and curses and unkindness and just because you are a slave to your baser appetites mr brown removed his hand from his brow you'll pardon my interrupting you he said feebly but perhaps you would be good enough to give me some slight inkling of what you were talking about ah you know she said fervently in your soul in your conscience you know why pretend to me i've had that dear child's company all afternoon and i know what he has suffered here mrs brown entered and the visitor turned to her and you she went on you must be his mother can't you won't you give it up for the sake of your child her voice quivered with emotion i think my dear said mr brown that you had better send for a doctor this lady is not well but who is she said mrs brown i don't know said her husband she's someone william found the someone william found flung out her arms won't you she cried eloquently can't you for the sake of your own happiness as well as his give it up they stared at her madam said mr brown despairingly what do you wish us to give up drink she answered dramatically 
Mr. Brown sat down heavily. Drink? he echoed. Mrs. Brown gave a little scream. Drink, she said. But we're both teetotalers. It was the turn of the visitor to sit down heavily. Surely, she said, that boy did not deceive me. Madam, said that boy's father bitterly, it is more than probable. When the visitor, protesting, apologizing, expostulating, and still not quite convinced, had been escorted to the door and seen off the premises, Mr. Brown turned grimly to his wife. Now, he said, where is that boy? But a long and energetic search of the house and garden failed to reveal any traces of him. It was not till an hour later that William, inspired more by the pangs of hunger than by pangs of conscience, emerged from the boot cupboard in the kitchen and surrendered himself to justice. End of chapter 3